As part of our summer preaching series, we've been focusing on how to take responsibility for your place as a Christian here at Neartown Church and beyond. To that goal, I want to help answer a question that can help us know how better to do this. That is, how do I grow in faith? Isn't that something we all want to know? Is it something I do? Is it something God does? Do I do it on my own or with others? The answer to all these questions is yes. To help you understand what I mean by that answer, let's turn to God's Word. We turn to God's Word because it is the primary means by which God has given us instruction on how to live obedient and faithful lives to Him. In other words, it is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Today we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-13. through 13. Let's read that together as a whole, and then we'll go into it piece by piece. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this is part of a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, One of the main themes is encouragement to faithful Christian living. We know from the letter that Paul is writing from prison, but even under those circumstances, he has joy at the testimony of the Philippian church. Have you ever trusted a task to someone to take care of while you were away? Maybe you trusted your child to do something on their own for the first time. Or maybe you trusted a co-worker to cover your desk while you were away on vacation. Do you remember the satisfaction of when that turned out okay? That your trust was validated? We can get a sense of that with Paul's encouragement to the Philippian church and to us as we read this letter. There are five truths that we can take away from this chapter that right now, today, where you are, will help you grow in your faith to the Lord and will help you overcome sin and temptation and will help you serve obediently for the glory of God and the good of all people. I hope that sounds like something you would want, so let's get to it. Right at the top, here are five takeaways from Paul's letter to the Philippians that I think can help you grow in your faith. First, we need to understand Christ's example for us. Second, we need to know that we are loved. Third, we need to understand the nature of obedience. Fourth, we need to know we are responsible. We need, and fifth, we need to fear the Lord. Before we start in on these verses, I want to share a little adventure my family has been on during the quarantine that will relate to what we are going to learn today. So on Saturday, March 14th, just as everything was starting to shut down, my kids helped my parents plant a decent-sized vegetable garden. It did not look like much at first. It was just a bunch of individual seeds buried in the ground where they could not be seen anymore. But it was the start of something new. Now, on to the rest of the lesson. First, we need to understand that Christ is the example for us. At the beginning of verse 12 is the word, therefore. This should say to us that verses 12 and 13 and the truth they contain is rooted in what just came prior. 
And what is that? Well, let's go back to verse 5. So have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every name will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ is our example. And not just only his death on the cross. That death was a final act of obedience in a lifetime of perfect obedience to the will of the Father. So how did Christ obey? Verse 7 says he emptied himself to take on the form of a servant. We celebrate this every Christmas. We can't lose sight of the fact that the infinite God of the universe came to earth as a tiny baby born to simple subjects of an ancient empire. He did this to bring glory to the Father. And according to verse 5, we need to have that same mind for ourselves and we can in Christ. Second point is that we need to know that we are loved. Paul says in verse 12 that we are beloved. Ephesians 2, 4 says that God called us out of death to life because of his great love for us. He loved us enough to live and die in obedience to God in a way that we are incapable of. We do not serve and obey a sterile and distant God. We serve a God that humbled himself to become one of us. This should motivate us for strengthening our faith. We're loved. And not everyone can really say that they are loved at their innermost being, but as Christians we can because when God looks at us, he sees the obedience of his son. Colossians 1 says he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pause there before we move on to part three and return to the garden. Almost immediately, signs of life began to peek out of the soil. Little green shoots all in a row. This garden was growing. Third, we need to understand obedience. Obedience to God is the right response to the transformation he has brought in our life. Obedience is an act of worship to the incredible Jesus Paul described in the prior verses we just read, and it also follows Christ's example. Jesus himself says in John 3:36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. We must obey. And now that we have been freed from the tyranny and oppression of sin, we have been made able to obey. Paul is not directing us to an impossible task. He is encouraging us to lean into the freedom we have in Christ. You can listen to almost any sermon or read any Bible study and hear teaching that we need to obey. But how can you even know what you need to obey? You need to read and know God's word for yourself. There is no better way for you to learn how and what to obey than reading and knowing God's word for yourself. The pastors and loop group leaders here at Neartown Church can teach you week by week, but you need to also be teaching yourself day by day. Fourth, we need to understand that all of these steps I've listed, looking to Christ as our example, knowing that we are loved, living a life of obedience, these are all our responsibilities together as Christians. And this is my fourth point I'd like to make, that we are indeed responsible for our obedience and responsible to be obedient together. This goes back to an earlier part of the letter. Let's look back at chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel 
and not frightened in anything by your opponents. For those of us that have stepped over the line of faith, we need to live our lives in a manner worthy of the glorious gospel we have been called to. And not only that, these verses show that we need to do it together. Going back to our original passage, this obedience, this working out of our salvation, is our responsibility, but it is accomplished by God working through us to bring about his will in our lives. And we should know that it will not be perfect. We will struggle with sin and temptation, but we can also know that as new people in Christ, we can resist and overcome that sin. The final point is that we need to have a proper fear of the Lord. This may seem counterintuitive to all we've talked about before, but Paul says in verse 12, we need to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. As believers, we now understand what our sin costs the King of glory. He died in our place even while we were still sinful and did absolutely nothing to deserve it. This fear I'm talking about is not an unhealthy fear, but a right reverence for a holy God. Psalm 111.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This wise and healthy respect for God's holiness leads us to recognize sin in our lives for what it is, a lingering brokenness from what we used to be that hinders and holds us back from what we are now as Christians. And as Christians, we need to know that as we actively work out our faith, the Lord God is also working in us to accomplish his will and desire through us. That is his promise and he will keep it. It occurs to me at this point in my sermon that some may be hearing this who have not put their faith in Christ. If this is the case for you, then you should know that the Bible teaches us that we are born separated from God and that every day ways we break God's laws and precepts further separates us from him. There's nothing we can do on our own to make that right. You cannot obey enough. You cannot do enough good deeds to earn God's righteousness. So I do not want all this talk of obedience and working out your faith to confuse you. That would be putting the cart before the horse. The first step for you would be recognizing that all of us are sinful and that the wages of sin is death, but that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life of obedience to God, even obedience to death on a cross, so that you could repent of the sin in your life and put your faith in him. Having said that, for our little band of believers here at Neartown, we need to take Paul's message to the Philippians to heart for ourselves and apply it in this way. We need to work out our faith and obedience to a holy God together. We are not in this walk alone. God has given us each other. And that makes all the difference. We need to strive together side by side. That looks like being faithful to attending Sunday morning worship. That looks like being in a loop group. That looks like serving in Kid City or on another Sunday morning team. That looks like giving financially to God's mission. That looks like recognizing the sin in your life and being vulnerable to others about it. You can grow in your faith and we can do it together. This is part of the reason the quarantine has been so challenging. It hinders our ability to meet as a community of believers. The church is not a building or a place, but it is a people. And we lose a pathway to grow together when we cannot meet. That is one reason out of many we need to pray for this pandemic to end. Now it's time to bring the illustration of the garden to an end. What started out as a bunch of individual dry seeds in just two short months has blossomed into a full garden brimming with peppers and beans and tomatoes and flowers. A little less than two months was all it took for this garden to grow together and produce fresh vegetables and this is just the beginning. It will continue making food for the rest of the summer. This is what it is like for us as Christians. What starts as something small and useless can be cultivated into a life-giving garden. Thank you for listening. Let's now have a time of response to what we have heard today.